everyone. This is Kali Foxman with Jewish Boston, and I'm here with Dan Seligson of Israel 360. Dan, today you're speaking with CJP President Barry Schrage about Israel and Bob Dylan. That's correct. Why Bob Dylan? Well, Barry loves two things in this world. Actually, more than two things. He loves his children, and he loves, <laughs> he loves the Boston community. He loves the Patriots, but he really loves Israel, and he loves Bob Dylan. So I found this opportunity to talk to him about his two favorite things at the same time. So what specifically about Bob Dylan? You're talking about a specific song, right? Yeah, and we're actually not talking about one of the songs that everyone knows. Um, this song is called Neighborhood Bully. It came out in 1983, and the song is kind of surprising. Okay, why surprising? Well, it, Bob Dylan is someone who never really liked to talk about the meaning of his songs or the politics behind his songs. He's He likes to be something of a of a man of mystery. And Neighborhood Bully, while it never actually says the word Israel in it, is a full-throated defense of the state of Israel and its self-defense during a time in which Israel was roundly criticized for its invasion of Lebanon in the first Lebanon War in 1982. And here's Bob Dylan coming out with the song that basically says in a very cynical way, oh, they're the neighborhood bully, they're outnumbered a million to one, they're the neighborhood bully, everybody wants to kill them. So Barry has always uh, felt like this song um, speaks to his love of Israel and to his justification of Israel doing what it can to survive in a very complicated and often hostile region. Sounds very interesting. So we will uh, talk to Barry and let's just jump right in and, and listen to this song that we're talking about for a second or two. Barry, here we are at Facebook Live. I'm Dan Seligson of Israel 360, and we are currently broadcasting, and we're recording a podcast for the Israel 360 podcast. It'll be up in a few weeks. Uh, I'm here with Barry Schrage, president of Combined Jewish Philanthropies since the days that I had hair, specifically 1985. And at the time, I had an impressive mullet, and I think you may have as well. Were you mulleting at the time? I don't even know what that is. It's like a feathering in the back. No. Looks great. Okay. It was really big in 85. Uh, so during your extraordinary career, you have strengthened Boston Jewish community immensely, but perhaps most significantly in connecting our community with Israel, which brings us to our subject for the day, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, born Robert Zimmerman, wrote about many subjects from the time he started singing in the late 50s. But in 1983, just after the conclusion of the first Lebanon War, Dylan recorded the very hard-edged, at least I think, neighborhood bully. It was a topic he uncovered before, and it was to at least a casual listener like me, I'm not a super fan like you, a full-throated defense of Israel's military actions before and after the war, and perhaps during any war. The song was described by one reporter for a prominent Jewish paper as Dylan's forgotten pro-Israel song, and I believe it's a favorite of yours. Yes, and I really appreciate you doing this because it allows me to do two things. One is reminisce about my student days and my youth. And the other thing is to say what I really feel about Israel and what I think Dylan really said about Israel. Well, let me talk about you and Dylan for a second. You're kind of a Dylan fan. How did you first get into it? And uh, 
Why does that music resonate with you? Well, I mean, you know, the times they are changing. The, it was the anthem of the whole student movement. It was, um, uh, it, it was so important in defining all kinds of things, the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, um, masters of war. I mean, it was, it, there, there was hardly anything that he wrote at that time uh, that I didn't pay close attention to. The lyrics were important. And then when he went electric, it changed so much about what was happening in the folk movement and in so many other ways. But it's kind of an anthem for my younger days. So I remember as a kid um, listening to this song, and I listened to a lot of noisy, loud music. I still do. And I never listened to Dylan. But when I listened to this song, I said, wow, this is, this is pretty hard for Dylan. This is like a, a very strong beat. He's close to yelling. He doesn't often yell that much. But let me just ask you one question. He never says the word Israel. Are you totally sure it's about Israel? You, you got. You'd have to be. Uh, <laughs> you'd have to be stupid <laughs> to not see this as. And in fact, the critics of Israel. If you go to the websites uh, and you uh, Google "neighborhood bully," you'll see various comments from people who are, are, in fact, our enemies, saying that this is a that this is a terrible song and an insult to the Palestinians and. Uh, etc. I mean, they understand what it is. So can you give me a little historical perspective about 1983? Probably not all of our listeners and, and viewers remember what was going on in 1983 and what specifically happened in 1982 that led to this song. I think there were a number of things that were happening. There were always ongoing attacks on Israel. By the way, the attacks on Israel, in 1967, Israel was the heroic country for the whole world. Uh, in 1967, I was on campus and very active in the anti-war movement, but uh, me and all of my friends in the anti-war movement, mostly Jewish, of course, um, were uh, cheering Israel's tanks on because we understood that Israel was about to be destroyed uh, and that uh, Israel's existence depended on being able to fight that war. So there was the 67 war. Then there was the 73 war where Israel was almost completely destroyed. Uh, they were this close uh, to destruction. Um, and uh, after the 73 war, interestingly, the world turned against Israel, not because anything had changed in their relationship with the Palestinians, but because of the oil boycott. In other words, most of the world's turning against Israel had nothing to do with morality, as you would expect. It had to do with money and oil and the world's thirst for oil in the aftermath of the, in, uh, of the uh, Arab oil boycott. So there was already a great deal of hypocrisy involved in what was going on with Israel. But then at one point, uh, Israel, even then, was worried about the development of a nuclear capacity. Uh, and you see this in the song. Israel bombed out the Iraqi bomb factory, as it says in the song, um, with, with good reason. And you can imagine, forget about the Iraq war and what that would have been. But if you consider uh, simply the Iraqi uh, takeover of Kuwait, which everyone believes we should have intervened in and stopped the Iraq from doing that and from becoming sort of a major uh, power. If they had had nuclear weapons at that point, the history of the world would be totally would be totally different. So Israel did the world a favor, and yet they were roundly condemned by everybody for the attack on the Iraqi nuclear facility. So let's jump into the song, and, and when we actually have the podcast finished, we're going to be able to put the music in it so listeners will be able to hear exactly what we're talking about. Um, we both have the full set of lyrics here highlighted for our convenience. Uh, he opens by saying uh, he's got no place to escape to, no place to run. He's the neighborhood bully. Obviously, this is a cynical tone that he adopts, that he keeps throughout the song. Um, 
And it's a very angry song. So what, from what you know about the song, and you've listened to the song quite a bit, uh, where was his head when he listened to this? Well, you know, it's hard to say where he was religiously at that point because he was going through various phases, but he obviously was... Un well, let's start with this. The song is not just about Israel. It's about Jewish history. When he says uh, he, wandered, he wanders the earth, an exile man, yeah. he's not talking about Israel. He's talking about the history of the Jewish people. And when he said he has no place to run to, no place to go, it, it's sort of a reference to the Holocaust. In other words, when, when, it, when the Jewish people are in trouble, they literally have no place to run to and no place to go. And in part, that was the rationale for Israel's creation, in addition to being the ancestral homeland of the Jewish people. So he's sort of referencing that feeling of sort of being ex excluded and having one last stand. Uh, and at the end of the song, he comes back to this in a very... Oh, spoiler alert. Okay. We're going to get to the end of the okay. song because I have a question about the end okay. of the song. Okay. But, but so, there's, so, a, there's so, sort of a, a timeline where he starts very broad and then he gets to present day 1982. Right. So I, and then he but, gets broad so again. I would say in general, it's about the Jewish people having no place to run to, no place to go. But Israel also having no place to run to, no place to... The day they were created, the Arab world said, we're going to throw you into the sea. That's not debatable. That's the simple fact, whether there was justice in that, whether the Palestinians had a point, whether they, it wasn't the Palestinians, it was the entire Arab world that was dedicated to Israel's dis destruction on the very first day it was created. So, you know, having your back up against the sea, that was quite literally the way Israel felt at that time. And then, of course, things changed and Israel became stronger, and you can think about it in different ways. But he's sort of reflecting that, that, that beginning. Yeah. And, and even though you want to say that Israel has growing military might, which is the case, they are outnumbered about a million to one. You know, they're, they're a, when you count up the number of enemies that they potentially have, it's certainly huge. And Israel's population, you know, remains, in spite of its growth, quite small in relation to the number of people who claim to be their enemies. It's, um, it's amazing how Dylan can take an issue as broad as the diaspora and condense it to this one line that, or these lines that I love. He says, he's seen his family scattered, hounded and torn. He's on trial for just being born. <laughs> Is that 3,000 years of Jewish history, like pretty much in a nutshell? Well, I, you know, I, as you know, I, I think of, I think of, as you know, I think of Jewish history being something positive. I think of all the culture that we represent. I think of all, uh, of all that we've created. I think of, you know, preserving our families. I think of lots of, I think of, and you'll get to this later on in the song, curing diseases and, and, uh, and science and all those other good things. So, I certainly, I, I certainly understand it's more than just that, but and yet, um, we have seen our people hounded and torn, and not so long ago. Yeah. Uh, the Holocaust is, you know, is not a million years ago. I mean, it's not the expulsion from uh, England in the 13th century or the expulsion from Spain in the 15th century, or on and on and on. Yeah. But you can certainly see history in in those in those in those terms and. The preservation of the Jewish people in the land of Israel is part of what the song is about. So this song, uh, 
was written 35 years ago in May of next year, April, I think, we'll celebrate Israel's 70th birthday. This song was written from where we are now, halfway into Israel's modern history. And from the song, you would think that Israel is a really tough place to live. He writes, there's a noose at his neck and a gun at his back, and a license to kill him is given out to every maniac. There's a noose at his neck and a gun at his back. I was a really good songwriter. I got to say this about Bob Dylan. Uh, you know, when you listen to him, you hear, uh, yeah. but when you read the lyrics, oh yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that in some ways, first of all, it was certainly true. I mean, we, we, we don't remember the level of terrorism that Israel was exposed to. And, and the license to give him, given out to every maniac, kind of like, you know, rings true. You know, anybody who wanted to inflict, uh, you know, not in I was there in 1971 and in 1971 a group of um, Japanese terrorists flew into Lode Airport and slaughtered everybody in, in sight and, and they had nothing to do with Israel whatsoever mm-hmm. it was a target for every crazed you know group on earth so and and it did seem like there was and and of course if you did that in some people's minds you were a hero so you did have a license to sort of a license to uh, to kill now, obviously, Israel is now far more capable of defending herself, thank God. Um, and yet still, it seems like, it, it seems like, and, and I'll get to this later, for a lot of these lyrics, things have changed a lot, but the level of hypocrisy in the world, that has not changed, and I'll be happy to deal with that. So, I, I'm just really curious, Bob Dylan um, has described himself as spiritual and a believer not entirely clear what he believes in. He converted, I think, in the late 70s to Christianity and sounded like a, a evangelical kind of born-again Christianity. He rejected the term born-again, and actually he said in interviews that he, he didn't want to be called that. He was his own thing. Um, in the mid-2000s, he was doing fundraisers for Chabad and and doing Aliyah and Abima, and he sounded like he had gone back to Judaism. Um, this was written at a time when he wasn't identifying, I guess, as Jewish. What do you think he was? Was he doing this for the Jewish people or was he doing this because he saw the injustice? You know, you can never really define Bob Dylan. I mean, he's the Joker, right? In his own so- songs and in his own lyric. He's always playing himself and playing off against Jews. You don't know, but obviously this song was heartfelt. Now, whether this came from an evangelical Christian place, a Christian Zionist place, it could be um, that last scene, which you'll get to at the end. Who knows what that what that means about the Jewish people and their future? But um, the hypocrisy that he saw clearly, that's what comes through to me. I don't care what he was believing, but the the characterization of the problem, which, by the way, has nothing to do with the need for there to be a Palestinian state or for justice for the Palestinian people. Nothing to do with any of that. It's just the sense of the raw hypocrisy in the world that doesn't seem to be willing to give the Jewish people even an inch of ground in which to kind of create and be and live. Uh, he, he says in one line, he's got no allies really to speak of. What he gets he must pay for. He don't get it out of love. He buys obsolete weapons. He won't be denied. But no one sends flesh and blood to fight by his side. 
going on with the U.S. Israel relationship in 1983 that would that would have him write something like this? Well, I think first of all, you know, it relates to our memory of the beginnings of Israel. Mm-hmm. Literally, that was the case in 1948. I mean, he was getting, he was buying obsolete weapons. He couldn't even get weapons. Israel was in desperate straits. And then over time, so first they had the ability to buy French weapons. And then after the 73 war, when Israel was in the most danger, the French cut off their weapons and they didn't have anything. And then at that point, they turned to the United States. But until the United States agreed to resupply them in the 73 war, when they were almost dead, uh, uh, it, it took quite a bit of, uh, of effort in order to make that happen. And thank God the United States finally did come through with the weapons that Israel needed. So there's never, there's never kind of a steady... Now, lately, of course, Israel's become the technological wonder of the world, and countries are anxious to do business with them around whatever weapons they might need, because Israel adds a technological edge yeah. to, whatever is, to, whatever is, to whatever is available. So, of course, that's changed. But again, while those parts of this have changed, the world's hypocrisy has not at all changed. And he gets into that. Um, he says he's surrounded by pacifists who all want peace. They pray for it nightly that the bloodshed must cease. The, the pacifists were probably people in Europe and the United States who, I mean, he's not. What's the rest of that? I Israel is not that. What is the, actually surrounded by any pacifists. Uh, yeah. Now yeah. they wouldn't hurt, now a, they fly wouldn't hurt a fly. To hurt one, they would weep. They lay and they wait for this bully to fall asleep. Now, Israel's in the midst of one of the most violent regions on the face of the planet. Still, it was then and it still, and it still uh, is. And I would add that. Again, I very much would support a two-state solution, very much always have, always will. Point is that it's been rejected by the other side over and over and over again. And every time that you're close to having peace break out, um, there's another wave of intifada or violence of one kind uh, one kind or another. So um, it's clearly not surrounded by uh, pacifists who uh, all want peace. Uh, it, it, again, it's the hypocrisy of the world that comes through in this in this line. It, it, it certainly is not surrounded by pacifists. It certainly does have to be alert. Um, when it fell, actually it was when Israel fell asleep in 1973. I clearly remember people saying, Israel saying there is just no danger. They're so far ahead of everybody. And then they were within an inch of being wiped out. Israel has to always remember that they're not surrounded by pacifists and that there are ongoing dangers that they have to face. So, uh, you know, he really packed a lot into a four and a, not even a four and a half minute song. When he gets toward the end, and I, we we kind of started with this, but I want to I want to move to the this very. Um, if, if I could just, yeah, I just want to illustrate the hypocrisy issue. So, um, not that long ago, let, it, this immediate past Passover, um, uh, the student council of uh, Tufts University. Um, uh, was uh, hit by a resolution, a BDS resolution against Israel. Well, of course, they introduced it um, uh, just before Passover was starting, so half the people who could have protested weren't there. Um, But even more important, you think about this. This resolution was introduced like four days after Iranians, 
Syrians, Russians, and Hezbollah used poison gas to kill hundreds of Syrian children. Four days. And, and the introduction of this resolution was their reaction to what was going on in the world. Further, I mean, even if you look at it today, so are Muslims more oppressed by Jews in Israel or more oppressed by Buddhists in Myanmar? I mean, right now, right now, the Rohingya people are being murdered and massacred by the tens of thousands. And just recently does the world appear to care even in the slightest about the slaughter. So you, you have to wonder what, it's not that Israel's perfect, certainly not, but you have to wonder about the proportionality of, of all this stuff and why Israel hypocritically always seems to be the target of, of every of, of every single protest. It, it, there, there is a question of proportionality. If you look at uh, lots of parts of the uh, of the, the student movement, you know, they're protesting real things in this country that are offensive and bad, and they should. But they never mention any other country on the face of the earth. The UN Security Council will pass 60 resolutions against Israel and six against other nations when you look at what's going on in those other countries and you have to you have to scratch your head so israel needs to be supported this song is a strong statement that while israel you can be critical of israel that there is a question of proportionality and hypocrisy that was in the world when he wrote this song in 1983 and still in this world when he was interviewed about it in rolling stone in, in 1983 uh the reporter asked is this a so are you expressing your support for Zionism? Does this, you know, is this is this about Judaism and Zionism? And are, are you supporting the the government of Israel? And he said it's not really about that. Um, he he didn't you know I, he didn't actually ever utter the word Zionism in relation to this song. I'm not sure he ever uttered it, but he said that this song isn't about that. Um, which right. made me think, you know, yeah, it's uh, ob it's it's obviously about France. I mean, you can tell, right? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, really, I, thought, I mean, you know, it's it's. Dylan is always slightly hidden. He he's a like any any author really. If you say what's that novel really about, they'll never tell you, because you know it, in a way it is part of their imagination. And and if you're not a, you don't have to defend it in those terms. If it is part of the creative imagination process that any artist is part of, I would think as a as a journalist, it would drive me nuts interviewing the man, honestly. But I mean, you know, he's a genius when you, right. if you just. It wouldn't drive me nuts. I would be too uh, overawed to ask any questions. That well, so you're too problem. much of a fan, right? Yeah. I could right. do it because I, right. I, you know, I would show such ignorance for his music. He'd probably walk right out, but I'm working on it, right? This right. is, this is right. part of my right. therapy. Right. Um, so I, I did want to get to that end of the song. Uh, it, it sort of ends on a troubling note. It's not hopeful. Um, it's more like Armageddon is coming. He says, neighborhood bully standing on the hill, running out the clock, time standing still. Well, that could be an evangelical theme, really. It, you know, that the world is about to end. And of course, the end of the world will take place at Armageddon in the land of Israel and all the, all the rest of that. So I think... It, it could be a reflection of that, but there's also two existential factors. One is that our enemies keep saying, hey, um, we um, uh, waited out the crusaders and we'll wait you out. 
we've got forever, you know, and we'll never let you live and you'll never have a peaceful day. So we're just going to we're just going to continue doing what we're doing and, and wait it out. Now, history takes strange terms and turns. And if you look at what's happening in the Middle East today, who knows what will really end up end up happening? Uh, hopefully a peaceful solution and a two state solution to the troubles in the land. But until our enemies turn in a different direction, it's going to be hard to see that coming. So will um, the Jewish people, the state of Israel, the citizens of Israel, you know, they're not standing on a hill. You know, they're actively working in every possible way to defend themselves. But in this world, sometimes it does seem like it's only their flesh and blood that's truly prepared to stand by their side. And, you know, just to say this, whether at the end of this interview or not, we, they depend on us and we depend on them. The pride that we have in the state of Israel, our sense that there's something alive and heroic, like even if there's something that we don't like about it, it's alive. It's a real country made up of real citizens trying to defend themselves and live in a not terrific environment. I mean, if you recall in the United States, the McCarthy period happened and all kinds of terrible things happened, human rights abuses and so on, during a time when we were perfectly safe. Yeah. You know, And right now, Israel is not perfectly safe. And yet, for the most part, human rights are observed, the courts are listened to, um, and Israel goes through tricky times, of course. But still in all, in that region, it is a model of democracy and human rights. So I asked you uh, about doing this recording last week, and I think I asked you the morning after a Dylan show, and you were very excited, to say the least. You grabbed my arm and said, oh yeah, let's do it, let's do it. Um, has How many times have you seen Dylan live? Just twice. Oh, that was only the second time. Yeah, both times my son took me. Wow. Well, I, it was I too much that I couldn't, I couldn't resist. It was a, it was a, it was a kosher steak dinner followed by a Dylan concert, so. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Very, my you son's You seem impressive. to get these crazy invites to things, like Rolling Stones in front of about 100 people or something like that. Yeah, well, that was different, but yeah. yeah. Um, little bit envious here. Yeah, a well, you, you know, the, the truth is that after the concert, I went back and listened to a bunch of the albums, and uh, he's not much to speak about in concert. It was great to be there, to be there in yeah. front of and looking at Bob Dylan, and I'll always be grateful to my son for taking me there twice. But I, I think next time I'm going to wait for Judy Collins or Joan Baez to go on stage. Well, he's 76 now, right? Yeah. <laughs> you should live and be well. Yeah. Till yeah. 120. Uh, so you've only been twice, but I, I've tried to look up and see whether he's played this song in concert, and I couldn't find too many uh, kind of create. There are people who create set lists about every show they've ever been to and they're crazy people and they, they organize it and they, you know, whatever else. I didn't see that he played the song um, too often in recent memory. Do you think that he, I don't know. I, I'm not, not wondering whether he still supports the song. I'm sure that he does, but I, I, a lot of his songs are timeless. I don't know if he believes that this is the song that's from an era. This is a, a different time in the, in the early to mid eighties and where Israel was in the, public mindset and, and where Israel was in the world. Well, look, I don't know whether, you know, he's playing the times they are changing anymore or whether he's playing the masters of war anymore or whether he's playing, you know, any of the, there were, and there are lots of songs that he doesn't play a whole lot, a couple of wonderful uh, albums that yeah. where he doesn't play a whole lot of stuff. So 
he's not playing it a great deal and therefore it's our challenge to make this song go viral. That is our challenge as Jewish people. Everything goes viral. Why shouldn't this song get a good listen by the uh, by all those people out there who are looking for things to put on their Facebook page and tweet about and really think about? So we have um, on frequent occasions used lyrics from this song in CJP communications about crises in Israel. And I think we've had to limit it to two or three instances a year where we can use it so that we don't overuse it. But it, it, to you, this is absolutely timeless. And, and the, the yeah, information the, in this song, the, the message of this song is something that... Because the hypocrisy of the world seems to be timeless. And because Israel's, while Israel is certainly stronger in many ways, and it certainly is, you know, you, the, the hypocrisy is actually underlined by the fact that while these countries will freely vote against uh, Israel and the United Nations... Um, Israel's trade with India and China and um, so many of the countries of the world is skyrocketing, including with the United States, because when Israeli innovation comes to town, local economies are uh, invigorated. And, 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 and therefore, sure, Israel's stronger. But on the other hand, the dangers are certainly still uh, out there and the hypocrisy is still out there. And parts of the world that are still waiting uh, with a gun in their hand uh, is still uh, uh, an issue. So the times are, are sort of changing. The times are <laughs> They're somewhat changing. sort of changing. Um, and one, look, the, 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 the Jewish people weren't put on earth to be the greatest military power on earth or simply to survive. In my view, the Jewish people are on earth precisely to make the world a better place. And if we end up having to defend ourselves day in and day out, it's, it's really a tragedy because there really are, you know, there's a part of the song that says, read that, read that uh, lyric where it talks about, um, uh, I might not have, the holy books part. Um, what's anybody indebted to him for? Nothing, they say. He just likes to cause war. Um, oh, that's not the one. Oh, now his holiest books have been trampled upon. No contract he signed was worth what it was written on. He took the crumbs of the world and he turned it into wealth, took sickness and disease and he turned it into health. I hope and I believe that Israel and the Jewish people will be remembered forever for um, uh, curing polio, for making a major impact on, on every field of medicine and technology and health, for making it possible for us to have cell phones and, and smartphones and um, technological advancement. And also someday, I often think that if 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 the world let us alone to be what we really want to be, we would have cured cancer a long time ago. We have tremendous intellectual talent. Um, the influx of Russian Jews, which we thought were going to be a burden, ended up bringing, the late, bringing huge resources of technology. All of that is, can be turned, should be turned to the health of the world. And then we could be what it says in our Torah we're supposed to be. 
a blessing for all the nations of the earth. Well, Barry, this has been great. I mean, the amount of information and the amount of passion that you have for the subject is just outstanding. And I, I want to thank you for, for doing this for us and for um, helping us kind of look at this song in a new way. I will be posting all kinds of links to where you can find the song so that we can make it go viral um, just in time for Hanukkah. There you go. All right. Well, thank you, Barry. Thank you.